Good morning, church family. Good morning. I thought that was a perfect psalm to read, preparing hearts for gratitude and thanksgiving. And uh, although we have an annual holiday, praise God for our nation to do this, we're called to be thankful every moment of the day. But as we approach this Thanksgiving season, how thankful are we? How thankful are we? Well, the circumstances of life, has that drowned our thanksgiving to the Lord? And as I went through Mark chapter 5, 1 through 20, I'm almost certain that our gratitude towards the Lord will be elevated today. As we've seen earlier in Mark chapter 4, Jesus calms the storm. He is the Lord of the storm. He tamed the wind and the sea with his word. Today, he calms a storm that's been raging within somebody's heart for years, if not decades. Once again, with Jesus' authoritative word, he sets this man free. He calms the storm within a person. So today Jesus confronts evil and he comes across the most unlikeliest characters to be brought into the family of God. Okay, so today I'm hoping that we're able to see the purposeful nature of our Savior, how intentional he is about everything, even those who he chooses to save. So we'll be at a Mark chapter 5. Uh, if you have your Bibles, please open up to Mark chapter 5. And please rise with me. We do this to honor God's Word. We believe that the, the book that we're holding in our hands is literally the Word of God, the living Word of God. So Mark chapter 5, 1 through 20. We believe that God's Word has the ability and the power to change every single one of us, from taking us from darkness into light, from elevating our love for him from one level to another. So Mark chapter 5, 1 through 20. Let's look into the heart of the purposeful Savior. Verse 1. They came to the other side of the sea into the country of the Gerasenes. When he got out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. And he had his dwelling among the tombs. And no one was able to bind him anymore even with a chain, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been torn apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. Constantly, night and day, he was screaming among the tombs in the mountains and gashing himself with stones. Seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and bowed down before him, and shouting with a loud voice, he said, What business do we have with each other? Jesus, Son of the Most High God, I implore you by God, do not torment me. For he had been saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And he was asking him, What is your name? And he said to him, My name is Legion, for we are many began to implore him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now there was a large herd of swine feeding nearby on the mountain. The demons implored him, saying, Send us into the swine so that we may enter them. 
Verse 13. Jesus gave them permission. And coming out, the unclean spirit spirits entered the swine and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and 2,000 of them, and they were drowned in the sea. The herdsmen ran and reported in the city and in the country. And the people came to see what it was, what happened, that what had happened. They came to Jesus and observed the man who had been demon-possessed, sitting clothed and in his right mind, the very man who had the legion. And they became frightened. Those who had seen it described to them how it had happened to the demon-possessed man and all about the swine. And they began to implore him to leave the region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed was imploring him that he might accompany him. And he did not let him. But he said to him, go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. Verse 20. And he went away and he began to proclaim in Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this portion of scripture. Help us to understand more about your son and more about the great salvation that he offers. Thank you, Father. Grow a deeper sense of gratitude in our hearts for you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. How this sermon is going to flow is I'm simply going to tell a story. I'm simply going to tell the story of what the Lord did for this demon-possessed man. And then we'll conclude with some encouragements at the end. Verse 1, Jesus goes into Gentile country, the country of the Gerasenes. There are other clues that says this was Gentile country. They're herding pigs. They didn't herd pigs in Jewish country. The swine or pigs were unclean animals. Jews did not eat swine. And also at the end, verse 20, it says that he went about in the Decapolis. Decapolis means Deca, ten, Deca, ten cities. These are ten uh, 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 Hellenistic or Greek-influenced cities. This, this is definitely a Gentile country. And there was no time to rest. Keep in mind, the disciples and Jesus came off the most incredible sea storm that they could have ever imagined. They're terrified. They thought they were going to die. And all of a sudden, they pour, pull up to the shore, and perhaps it's, it's even still nighttime. Because when all of this was taking place, last uh, chapter, in chapter 4, Jesus calms the storm. They travel in the evening, the Bible says. And typically it takes about two hours to go from the west side to the east side. So there's a very good chance that it's still nighttime. And as they pour, pull up into the shores of the sea, eastern side of the Sea of Galilee, what do they witness? Well, character number one, they experience the demonic menace. The demonic menace. Immediately, verse 2 says that they're confronted here by the demonic menace. He got out of the boat. Immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. Unclean spirits? These are demons. This is why he's the demonic menace. This is, these are demons this man has been possessed by. What are demons for the benefit of our guests? Just a little review. Demons are fallen angels. And Satan was a good angel at one point. 
In, X, in Isaiah 14, I believe, it describes his fall where he wanted to ascend to be above God. And God cast him out of heaven. And in Revelation 12, chapter 12, it says, Satan swept with him a third of the angels. Thousands, millions of angels fell out of heaven and fell to earth and serve as demons. These are fallen angels. And what are demons like to do? They like to, just like their father, the devil, Satan himself, they like to deceive and destroy. This is what they do. Deceive and destroy. They tell lies and they kill. This is what John 8, 44 says about Satan. They lie, they're murderers, and they're liars. They, they, they deceive and destroy. And, and demons do possess people, evidently. We see this in Mark chapter 5. Gladly and happily, demons cannot possess Christians. First John 4 forces that greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. There's no way a demon can possess a genuine Christian. However, non-Christians have been demon-possessed for many years, many, many occasions. And here has one of the most vivid accounts of what demons can do to a man. This man was not only demon-possessed, he was a menace to society. He was antisocial. He was a threat. And I'm going to take you verse by verse down, verse 3, 4, and 5, to see what type of threat he was. First of all, he lived, in the, he lived amongst the tombs. He, was, he lived in the cemetery. The people kicked him out. He was not fit to live in, in the city. They forced him to live in, in, in the cemetery. These tombs were like caves carved out into the side of the mountain. And he lived amongst the dead. And then verse 3 goes on to say, they, were, he, they tried to bind him with shackles and chains. A mob of people from the town and the surrounding villages knew he was such a threat that they came against him and tried to subdue him. They tried to tame him. This word subdued means to tame like a wild animal. This man was a wild animal. And they tried to t- chain him and keep him from other harming other people. Matthew 8 says that he was extremely violent. Extremely violent. He would not let anybody pass through that region without him affecting them. He was a violent man. This, this man was clearly a menace to society. He was demon-possessed, but he was a danger to others and himself. Luke 8 says that he was naked. And oftentimes, nakedness talks about perversion. This is not only is he violent, he's perverse. You do not want your wives and your children to hang out with this man. This guy was a danger. And then sadly, verse 5 says this. Constantly, night and day, he was screaming among the tombs and in the mountains and gashing himself with stones. Although he had superhuman strength to break chains, to fight off countless men, inside he was tormented, screaming night and day. And he was trying to kill himself, gashing himself with stones. This was a tormented man. He was a menace to society. As I was thinking about Mark chapter 5, how could I illustrate this? What can we, how can we even begin to understand a type, this type of character? 
Growing up in the 80s in the San Gabriel Valley, a, a man came to mind. The Night Stalker. Those of us who grew up during that time in the 80s, I mean, it was the 84 Olympics going on. It was hot. We didn't have air conditioning put on at night. I mean, we oftentimes we'd open up the windows to keep us cool at night. And not during those summers, we kept the, the windows locked, the doors locked. We heard reports every night on the, on the local news about a man that was murdering people, raping people stealing things. I mean, they, they show sketches of what this guy could look like. I mean, it turns out Richard Ramirez, the night stalker, was a Satanist. He's a heavy drug user. This guy is a perverse, deviant man. This Richard Ramirez was a menace to society. And particularly for those of us who remember, there's something beyond just dark about him. The judge who upheld his 13 death sentences remarked that Ramirez's death, Ramirez's deeds exhibited cruelty, callousness, and viciousness beyond any human understanding. This Richard Ramirez was a menace to society. And what was this man that we experienced in Mark chapter 5? No different. He was extremely violent. He was perverse. There was a good reason why the people wanted him out of the town, chained up even if, if they could. This is a menace. So what was the Lord's purpose in this? The Lord had the disciples go through the most horrific storm to cross over the lake, the Sea of Galilee. And this is the type of person that the Lord introduced to the disciples? This is the most frightening person ever that you would, you, would, you would not want to see. And as this menace, as he's perched on top of the bank looking to see who he would terrorize next, sees this boat pulling up onto the shores of Galilee. And who gets out? You got the 12 disciples and maybe somebody else. And then the Lord steps out. And he comes charging down his bank to go see him. Because here's my next victim. They have no idea that I'm here. Well, this takes us to the next character in this story. This demonic menace has an appointment with the divine Messiah. The divine Messiah. As this man is charging down thinking I'm going to ravage these people. Verse 6 is the most incredible scene. Seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up. And instead of attacking them, he bows down before him. This word bow down is a word for worship. What man, countless men, and what chains and metal shackles could not accomplish, the presence of the Lord subdues or tames this man in an instant. He's stopped dead in his tracks, and he's on his knees. And not only that, he recognizes him, and he begins to shout. He's terrified at the presence of the Lord himself, the divine Messiah, the divine Savior. In verse 7, it says, And shouting with a loud voice, he said, What business do we have with each other? Jesus, 
Look at how he says it. Son of the most high God. Jesus, son of the most high God. See, demons have right theology. They've always had right theology. Even in the gospel of Mark, Mark chapter one, a demon calls him, you are the holy one of God. Mark chapter three goes, you are the son of God, another demon. The demons have right theology. They knew that Jesus is God. Just like the, the wind and the water recognize Jesus' voice as the creator of the universe, the demon also recognizes, I'm standing before my creator. Jesus, son of the most high God. And not only that, they go on to say, I implore you, I beg you, I plead with you, by God, do not torment me. Their theology also said that there will be a day when all the demons will be thrown into the lake of fire to be tortured and to be punished for eternity. They know that day is coming. They know that day is coming. And in Mark, uh, Matthew, excuse me, Matthew 8, it says, why have you come to torment before the time? They know there's an assigned time when Jesus will deal with every single demon someday, including Satan himself. They also knew that many demons have already been thrown into the pit, into the abyss, to be locked up to do, to do no more harm. They're saying, please, we know you're God, but we also know your plans. This isn't the time for you to deal with us, Jesus, the Lord. They knew, but they knew that he was coming to liberate this man. And the demons were terrified. Verse 8 says, for he had been saying to them, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And look at the compassion of the Lord. Why everyone, every single person that this man has known, perhaps even his own family, have left this man for dead. And every single person that he's known has been trying to chain him or avoid him all his life upon being possessed by these demons. But look what Jesus says. Verse 9, look at the compassion of the Lord. This is what separates Jesus from everybody else. Look at the compassion that Jesus has for him. Verse 9, and he's, he was asking him, what is your name? What is your name? And the spokesman for the demons answers in verse 9. And he said to him, My name is Legion, for we are many. What is a legion? A Roman legion had 6,000 soldiers. A Roman legion was comprised of 6,000 soldiers. In essence, an army of demons was assaulting this man. An army of demons was deployed from the pit of hell to assault this one person. Not one demon, thousands of demons. We don't know if it's 6,000, but this, the point is there are a lot of demons in this man. Thousands of demons. And they were assaulting him with lies and murderous thoughts. And the Lord knows, as I read uh, or talked about John 8, 44, the devil is a liar and a murderer. The Lord knows what type of thoughts have been running through this man's mind. Perhaps you could relate in some ways. This man's been tormented, assaulted with lies. You are stupid. You're ugly. No one loves you. 
No one cares about you. God hates you. These are all lies from the pit of hell. Things such as these have been peppered into this man's mind and heart. Satan, the devil, is a murderer himself as this man was trying to gash and gorge himself to death. Perhaps he's hearing things such as, you got to kill yourself. you got to kill yourself. Look at all the, how much you're hated by the people. You need to kill yourself. You need to die. You, should ne- you, you never should have been born. Look at your family. They don't even want you. You sh- never should have been born. No one will ever miss you. Just kill yourself. No one will ever miss you. Matter of fact, they'll be happy that you're dead. See, demons are like thieves. They, they rob you of your identity, family and friends, your community, your entire life, your whole value. They rob you. John 10, 10, John 10 talks about how the thief, how, how the false shepherds are like thieves and they come to kill and destroy Verse 10, look what, they, look what they say. And he began to implore him, Jesus, earnestly not to send them out of the country. They loved their territory. This country, this region, they had everything wired. These demons had the people controlled. They understood how to keep people under fear, how to keep under lock and key. They understood this was their territory. That's how demons operate. Whether demons are operating in different nations, different cities, different counties, you can see the spirit of how things go, even in our own nation. Regionally, but also industry-wise, whether it's the music, whether it's entertainment, demons have a stronghold in many different areas of our lives. Here comes a deliverance. Now there was a, there, now more providence. There was a large herd of swine feeding nearby on the mountain. The demons, the demons implored him saying, send us into the swine so that we may enter them. They begged them, they beseech him, please, please, Lord, send us into the swine. And what does Jesus do? Verse 13, Jesus gave them permission Coming out, the unclean spirits entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea, and about 2,000 of them, that's a lot of pigs, and they were drowned in the sea. Jesus frees this man. Jesus frees this man and gives permission here. Now, it's interesting here uh, to learn more about our Savior I think it's important for us to understand what just took place here. This is a critical moment here. Verse 13, Jesus gave them permission. Jesus gave them permission. Jesus, the Lord of the demons as well. Let's make sure we understand this. There is no rivalry between Jesus and Satan. There is no rivalry between God and demons versus good and evil. There's no some cosmic war that's raging where good is battling evil. Sometimes evil wins, sometimes good wins. It's not like that. Clearly it's not like that. They're begging him. They're, they're asking him permission to do whatever he would allow them to do. 
There's no back and forth. Satan is God's devil, as Luther would say, Martin Luther would say. Satan is God's devil to do his purpose. This reminds me of Job 1 and 2 where Satan comes to Jesus, uh, comes to God and asks for permission. May I torment Job? Yes, you can up until this limit. It also reminds me of Luke twenty two thirty one, 31 where Jesus is Peter. Satan has asked for permission to sift you like wheat. Hear that now. Peter, Satan asked for permission to sift you like wheat. And Jesus says, he lets them. And it's so that you will be an encouragement to those later on when you are overcome. He goes, I pray that you will be strengthened. Jesus did not prohibit it. He limits the level of assault, but he actually permitted Job to be afflicted by the devil. He actually allowed Satan to sift Peter like wheat, but there was a limit. So if God permitted the legion of demons to go into the pigs, he also permitted the legion of demons to enter into this man. So what's, what's the purpose in all that? Why, why would God do this to this man, allow this to happen to this man? Well, we have to understand is this. God gives permission. God doesn't do the evil. God is good, and there's, in him there's no darkness at all. There's no shadow in him. God cannot sin, nor does he tempt people to sin. We understand this. Evil is like fire. This is the best analogy I could find. Evil is like fire. Where when fire is left alone, it will consume anything it can in its path. Path. All right? That's, this is what fire is. You, you let out a fire in the wilderness with a bunch of dry fuel, it's going to burn up the whole mountainside. We understand this. We've seen our San Gabriel Valley mountains on fire before. We understand how this works. But God is like a master welder where he takes that fire and he alone is the master welder. He actually takes that fire and uses that fire for his own purposes. Where he puts together his stories, welding together his cosmic story through the use of evil. He permits. He permits. And this is important for us to understand Verses such as Romans 8.28, for we know that God causes all things, the good, the bad, and ugly, for good to those who love him. So God actually uses evil to accomplish his plans. He doesn't do the evil, doesn't create the evil. Let's make, make sure we're completely clear about this. And this story shows us how Jesus gives permission for the demons to leave, some may have said, well, what a tragedy that all these pigs died, but we see the purpose in it. This one man was worth more than 2,000 pigs to Jesus Christ. This man was worth more than the entire pork industry in, in the east side of, uh, of, the, of the Sea of Galilee. This man, one man alone, was worth more than anyone else on that side of the lake. That was his purpose. Our Lord is super purposeful in his salvation. He knows he's, who he's coming after too. Let's get to our third person. We get, we get to meet a brand new person here. What happens next? We get to meet the devoted missionary. We didn't get to know him before. We just have a shell of him earlier. 
We just saw uh, just a bag that was dominated and, and captured by thousands and thousands of demons. And we have two different responses in this final close to the story here. Two different responses, black and white, opposites. Verse 14 through 17, you see the rejection here. The same people who avoided this man, the same people who were terrified of this man, the same people who were attacked by this man, the same people who cursed this man, the same people who counted and bid, the same people who tried to subdue him and chain him, hear this report. In verse 14, their herdsmen ran away and reported it in the city and in the country. And the people, the people, these are the same people, came to see what it was that happened. And what did they see? What did they see? Verse 15. What did they see, church? They came to see Jesus and observe the man who had been demon-possessed. They see the man who had legion in them. This, this is the same exact man. Mark makes it clear. Sitting down now. He's subdued. He's tamed now. He's not a naked wild man anymore. He's clothed. And in his right mind, he's back. Reminds me of the prodigal son who came to his senses, right? Reminds me of Nebuchadnezzar who got his mind back. But he's back. He's in his right mind. The very man who had the legion, and they became frightened. This word frightened, forbade, they were not in awe and reverence, worshiping Jesus. They were super, had superstitious fear of Jesus' power. This is not the type of fear that would cause them to repent. This is the type of fear that we're like, whoa, terrified at what had happened. And sadly, they were fearful that no one was rejoicing over this man's restoration. Sadly, right? They were caught up into something else. They, they were not recognizing what had happened to this man. Verse 16, they hear more testimony from eyewitness accounts, but they still will not turn. What happened sadly in verse 17? And they began to implore, to beg, to plead him to leave the region. Jesus, you got to go. We don't want you here. We don't want you here, Jesus. This is an example of the power of darkness. How blind can you be? When you should have been begging Jesus to stay longer, they beg him to leave. And really, this is the power of darkness. As you're involved in evangelizing family members and friends who just constantly reject your message of Christ, who constantly reject even wanting to be near you, just know this. It isn't you. This is darkness. This is proof where you have all the evidence in the world to come to Christ, yet I don't want you. That's rejection. But now let's see the new character who shows up here. Let's meet our new friend here. Now the devoted missionary. Verse 18. And Jesus, and he was getting into the boat. He was complying with her wishes, okay? At some point, you constantly reject Christ, he will listen to you. He will listen to you. And they, he was getting ready to get into the boat. And look what you see here. This is the transformed man. This is the man that was brought out of darkness into light. 
This is the man that was dead but is alive now. This is the man that was filthy, unclean, but is pure now. This is the man that was enslaved in chains is now is free. Look what he says. And the man who had been demon-possessed was imploring him. There's that word again. Begging him, beseeching and pleading with him. What did he want from Jesus? That he might accompany him. He wants to be with Jesus. And I believe this man was a saved man. You can see marks of salvation here. Genuine Christians want to be with Jesus. He goes, I, I, I have to have you, Jesus. You can have the world. I need you, Jesus. You can have this place. I need you, Jesus. You can have my friends and family. I need you, Jesus. You can have my work. You can have this business. You can have all my, my old home. I want you, Jesus. I want to be with you, Jesus. This is the mark of a Christian, is it not? Friends, church members. Look at what the Lord says. And he did not let him. He didn't, no, you can't come with me. You can't come with me. What was the Lord's purpose? Well, he purposefully saved him because he had a plan for him. But he said to him, go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. See this? He's commissioned to go tell the good news of Jesus Christ. This is the commission before the Great Commission. This man became the first missionary sent by Jesus in the New Testament. This man became the first missionary, not only uh, in the New Testament, but the first missionary to go to the Gentiles in the New Testament. God had a plan. Jesus Christ had a plan for him to spread the message of Jesus Christ throughout his old region. And what does he do? Another mark of a true Christian. Verse 20. True Christians want to be with Jesus. And number two, true Christians obey Jesus. And he went, and he went away and became, began to proclaim or to preach in Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed. A mark of a Christian, you want to be with Christ. Another mark of a Christian, you obey Christ. I think this man was a saved man. I think we'll see him in heaven someday. How did the Lord do this? He would take a menace to society and transform him to be one of the great missionaries in the Bible. Here's some encouragement to end this sermon here. Here's some encouragement for perhaps to kind of increase our gratitude. I'm hoping as we see, look into the eyes of the Savior, we're thinking about ourselves as well. I'm hoping that we see ourselves in this story as well. The purposeful Savior had a specific person in mind, number one. He had a specific person in mind. He, he meaning Jesus, goes through a lot of effort to cross the lake for this one man. This one person. And you may be sitting there saying, man, I'm not like this guy. I'm not Richard Ramirez. Praise God, I understand that. I understand that. 
But all of us are lost like this man before we came to Christ. And if you're not in Christ, if you're not a Christian right now, you're lost like this man. We may not be demon-possessed and have thousands of demons living in us, but we're minimally demon-influenced where you're believing the lies of the world, where you're thinking that the world is worth more than knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you're not in Christ, this is who you are. If you are in Christ, praise God, we were once like this. We were blind, now we see. We were lost, but now we're found. We were dead, but now we're alive. Amen? Second encouragement. The purposeful Savior has a specific purpose for us. He has a specific purpose for us. Perhaps the Lord used this man with this ridiculous testimony and I don't know how he would open up his testimony if he was Discipleship Sunday at his church. What would he start saying, right? I mean, think about that, right? Think about what we, what he would have been saying to set it all up, how God saved him where he once was and where he's at now. I mean, what a dramatic testimony. Chances are none of us have this testimony, but you do have a testimony. You do have a testimony where you once used to live for your family. Where you once lived for a career, where you once lived for pleasure, where you once lived for something else. And I, God brought me to my senses and I gave my life to Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I realized that Jesus is the greatest treasure of all. He's worth more than anything else. This Thursday, God willing, you're able to see some family and friends when you're offering up thanks and gratitude. What are you going to say? I'm thankful for my job. Praise God. I'm thankful for this nice weather. Praise God. I'm thankful for my family and my health. Praise God. But the lips of gratitude for Christ saving us, is that what's going to come out? And I just use that just because it happens to be Thanksgiving this Thursday. This is every day, right? This is really every day. But by your lips, people can see what's in your heart. If those are the things that at first come out of your mouth... That's what my, that might be what's most important to you. But the Lord went through great lengths. Not only did he cross a lake to come get you and me, he crossed from his heavenly throne room into the womb of a flawed mother to live as a child and to go to the cross, to live a perfect life, and he went to the cross for you and me. See, Friends, if you're just visiting here, the reason why we gather on the Lord's Day, on the first day of the week, Sunday, is to celebrate, to help remind each other, to grow gratitude for what God has done for Christians. Christians were once lost. Christians were once destined towards judgment. But because of the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ paid the price for our sins on the cross this is Christianity. Jesus did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. Jesus takes our worst, our sinfulness, and gives us his best, his righteousness. It's called the great exchange. He takes our worst 
and gives us his best if we trust in him as our Lord and Savior. If we're the ones saying, Jesus, I want to be with you. Jesus, I don't want to live for myself. I want to live for you. Just like this man. Just like this man. He goes, I want to come with you. I want to be with you, Lord Jesus. Can I just come with you? So friends, this is the the message of the gospel. This is the good news. Where we can be forgiven of our sins and treat it like we've never sinned before. Although, ask any Christian and ask anyone in this room, perhaps the person who invited you, it would be a lifelong struggle to the day we die. But God no longer sees us as like this demonic man, fallen in darkness. Now he sees us as his sons and daughters. That is the good news of Jesus Christ. So guess what, church? He came for a specific person. He came for you and me. No matter what our story, no matter what our crazy background, or tame, our background may be perfectly tame. It's okay. It's not about us. It's about, what does Jesus say? Go tell them the great things that the Lord has done for you. And how he had mercy on you. And secondly, he gives us a specific purpose to tell as many people as we get to about the message of Jesus Christ. This is why we're here on this earth. This is why we're not with Jesus face to face. Someday we'll be with him face to face. And then in that day, we will not be evangelizing anyone on that day. We'll just be celebrating with him in that day with one another, with the demoniac, with others that God has used to use you to bring you bring them to Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your great kindness to us. Thank you for how purposeful you are, Lord Jesus, in saving us. Thank you that all of us can say that we were lost, but now we are found. Thank you, Lord Jesus, how all of us could say that we were enslaved to sin, but Lord, you set us free. Thank you, Lord Jesus, because of your obedience, because of your work. I no longer say I'm homeless, but I have a home in heaven with you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, because of your courage, because of your commitment to obey the Father, because of your great love. We no longer have to say we're orphans, but we've been adopted by God. So thank you, Father. I pray, Lord, that you would grow a deeper level of gratitude in our hearts for what you've done for us. And Lord, if there is any lack of gratitude in our hearts, I pray, Lord, that we would repent of these things and we would just rejoice knowing that we've been set free by you, Lord. So thank you, Father, for your great kindness to us. I pray, Lord, that this gratitude would overflow in us telling more and more people, proclaiming in our own Decapolis what great things you have done for us and how much mercy you've had for us. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.